us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Scripture lesson for this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Uh, Listen now for God's Word to you. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end." Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. The announcement of a pregnancy can be a mix of emotions depending on the circumstances surrounding that announcement. Um, I remember when Heather told me that she was pregnant with our son, Axel. Um, We had gotten up for the day, and I just assumed that it was any ordinary day. Heather had gotten up, and she had gone to let the dog outside, and I thought that's all she was doing. Uh, But the next thing I knew, I heard her running through the house shouting my name, and I thought something was wrong at first. But then she burst into the room and shoved the pregnancy test in my face, and it had those beautiful words on it that said, pregnant. (laughs) You know, it wasn't unexpected. We were trying to start a family at that point, but um, even still, there was this great mix of emotions. I was so excited and overjoyed. I I really wanted to tell everybody that we were pregnant, that we were expecting, and um, to make matters even more interesting, that was the first day of VBS at the church that I was serving at the time. And so I showed up, and my Christian ed director was getting everything set up for outside for VBS to begin, and I wanted to tell her, but of course I couldn't, and uh, I went in and checked with my admin assistant, and I wanted to tell her really bad, but I couldn't. I had to hold on to this secret for a really long time. That often the announcement of a pregnancy is one that is exciting and, and joy-filled. I, I know that's true for people who are trying to start a family or for people who have been trying for a very long time to get pregnant, and finally it happens. There's this feeling of excitement, but also maybe a little bit of a feeling of anxiety. We've tried so hard, and we want to make sure that this pregnancy works out. Or, But I also know that for a lot of people, that not every pregnancy is expected or wanted or desired. And so that announcement of a pregnancy can be one of stress and concern. I wonder what it was like for Mary, though, when she found out she was pregnant. Mary was, by best scholarly guesses, somewhere around 13 or 14 years old at the time. So place her within our own context. She's in seventh or eighth grade, or you know, the Jewish girl that she was maybe had just had her bat mitzvah. But things happened a little bit differently back in those days, right? 
13 or 14-year-old girls, marriages were arranged for them back then. And Mary's parents had arranged for her to marry Joseph, Joseph, a much older man, uh, a much older man, but someone who the, uh, Matthew describes as being a righteous person, a, a pillar of the community, someone that all, everyone knew well and respected and loved. Uh, he attended the synagogue faithfully. He didn't make a lot of money. He was a carpenter after all, but it's not always about the money, is it? You know, Mary's parents, I think, trusted that Joseph would be someone who could take care of their daughter. And so what were Mary's days like during that time? What were her days filled with? I wonder if they were filled with all the flurry and activity of wedding planning, going to David's bridal and picking out the perfect wedding dress, <laughs> or sitting around with her mom, figuring out the seating charts so as to that upset Uncle Bill and Aunt Karen so they had the perfect seat that they, that they liked, or um, was her, were her days filled with... Uh, with thinking about what marriage was going to be like to Joseph. I mean, she didn't really know Joseph. She knew who he was. They went to synagogue together. They lived in a small town. It's not like they didn't run into each other everywhere. But she didn't really know him. So was she thinking about what marriage life might be like? Was she, whenever she thought about the wedding ceremony, was she filled with a sense of, of, of anxiety or excitement? What was going on for her? Whatever was going on for her, suddenly one day her life is interrupted. We can kind of imagine the scene that maybe Mary is coming back from the town well. That was the women's responsibility in that culture to go to the town well in the morning to collect water for the daily chores. She comes home and then suddenly there's a burst of light and the angel Gabriel appears to her and says, Greetings, favored one. And she wonders what sort of greeting this is. What does it mean to be the favored one of God? And then... Gabriel drops that bombshell on her and says, good news, you're pregnant. And Mary naturally has some questions about all this. She says, how can this be because I'm a virgin? I know how human biology works. How can it be that I'm pregnant? And then Gabriel gives that sort of straightforward answer that this is happening by the power of the Holy Spirit and that nothing is impossible with God. What is going on in Mary's mind? What is going on in Mary's heart in this moment as she receives this news that she's pregnant? I, I imagine for her that it is a lot different than the experience that Heather and I had of joy and excitement, but this is a, a, a situation of, of stress and anxiety. You know, it's not like Mary lived in some large urban area where she had the benefit and the privilege of anonymity. She lived in a small town, Nazareth was a small town, even by today's standards. And it was a small town with conservative values. And here is this young teenager pregnant out of wedlock. Perhaps Mary is already imagining the scenarios and the situations she'll find herself in. Um, the author, uh, Debbie Thomas, the author and blogger Debbie Thomas, asks us to consider uh, what to consider, do we ever stop to consider, I should say, what Mary's yes costs her? Perhaps she is imagining already those situations where she's in the grocery store and people see her pass by and they whisper, Mary says she's pregnant by an angel. I'm not sure that I believe it. <laughs> or maybe she's dreading those situations in the synagogue and those prayer requests that religious people like to offer sometimes, those veiled prayer requests that are just ways of sharing the juicy gossip, right? The ways of sharing all the details of what they know wanting to make sure that the pastor knows. 
Or maybe the, the headline in the small town newspaper read like the National Enquirer, Mary's pregnant, is there another man? What is going on in Mary's head and heart in this situation? Do you ever stop to consider what would have happened to her family's reputation in such a place? Did Mary wonder how long she was going to be able to hide that pregnancy beneath baggy clothes before people found out? Did she think about how going for that last fitting for her wedding dress and the dress no longer fit? Did she ever, do we ever stop to con- consider those things? Would people start to count backwards when they found out that Jesus was born, you know, seven or eight months after the wedding, trying to figure out when exactly Mary got pregnant? What about Joseph? Did she ever stop to consider what this situation would do for the relationship she was supposed to have with Joseph? Did she consider that this might be the end of the future that she was planning at that very moment? Was she ready potentially to be a single mother if Joseph decided to walk away? Can you remember being 13 or 14 years old and being shouldered with this sort of question, this sort of possibility in your life? It's a lot for us to imagine. Are we able to get past the sort of children's storybook versions of the story, the sort of cute pageant versions that we tell every year, and to think about what Mary's yes must have cost her? Because, of course, Mary does say yes. She consents to God's will and God's action in her life. Maybe at that point she's wondering how blessed she actually is. She's not really sure what that greeting favored one actually means for her, what it means to be the favored one of God, but she still says yes. She's still figuring out the details of how she's going to navigate some of the questions people are going to have or figuring out what's going to happen if Joseph does decide to walk away. And yet she says yes to God, even with all of her, what I'm sure are myriad reservations Mary says yes to God. She consents to God's will and God's action in her life. She consents to her place in the story. And over the last few years, I've become really, I've really learned to appreciate Mary's role in the Christmas story. Um, You know, I grew up with Mary kind of being devalued. Mary was viewed more as simply just kind of like a, a surrogate for God, right? But to me, she's more than a surrogate, but she's also not some exalted queen of heaven either. Mary is the one who says yes to God. Christmas doesn't happen without Mary's yes. That incredibly bold and courageous yes. That yes to the God in whom all things are possible. That yes to the God who is always doing the unexpected. The yes to the God who is always doing the surprising. The yes to the God in whom whom nothing is impossible. And we might call the impossible simply that which is irrational or unreasonable to us, that which is beyond the boundary of our own experience or expectations. That Mary says yes to this sort of God. I think that's what makes Mary such an important part of this story, is that she says yes to the God in whom all things are possible. That we as human beings, I think, are not always ready to say yes to this sort of a God. Because we like to kind of contain God within boxes, within the parameters of our own experience and understandings, boxes of religion or theology or sometimes just our own personal preferences. That God seems to confirm all of the things that we already deeply hold on to. Have you ever noticed how weird it is that God in our own minds seems to love the people we love and hate the people we hate? Isn't it weird how, how ride or died God is with us, that God confirms already deeply held prejudices. 
And yet the God that Mary says yes to is the God in whom all things are possible. The God that Mary says yes to is the God who is always flipping everything upside down, inviting us beyond the horizon of what we can see to walk boldly and courageously into what we cannot see. That God is a boundary-breaking God. God is inviting Mary to trust and believe something that is profoundly true about God. That God is always moving us beyond conventional wisdom. That God never fits within the boxes that we seek to contain God within. That God is always inviting us to not be stopped by what we might call the impossible, but to live with a sense of openness to what could be, a sense of what could be possible. Yes, Mary's yes is a risky thing, but we ever stop to consider what her yes has meant for all of us. That her yes to God is the yes to the boundary-breaking God, is the, the yes to the child that she carries within her at this very moment, who will break every boundary and every assumption that we have about God. That Mary, this poor peasant woman in the far reaches of the most powerful empire on earth, is chosen by God. This poor woman from the town of Nazareth. Later on in Jesus' life, some people will say, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Of course, the answer is all sorts of good things come out of Nazareth. All sorts of good things come out of the places that we have written off, the neighborhoods that we would never find ourselves in after dark. The good things of God are happening even there. That Mary, that Jesus, the child that Mary carries within her at this moment, will help us to imagine ourselves beyond the boundaries of inclusivity and welcome, that he is the one who will spend his entire adult life sitting around tables with people that the uptight religious crew says are outcasts and outsiders and that we can't spend time with. It's an impossibility, Jesus. And yet Jesus shows them a different sort of possibility, one of inclusivity and gracious welcome, an impossibility we remember every time we gather at the table that God welcomes and includes all people. In a world that is often filled with a sense of retribution and hatred, you know, Jesus says to us, neither do I condemn you. That the child that, that grows within Mary because of Mary's yes shows us the way towards grace and forgiveness and love and reconciliation. And in the very next chapter, Mary will sing about how God is bringing down the powerful from their thrones and is lifting up the lowly, how God is filling the hungry with good things and is sending the rich away empty-handed. One of my favorite parts of the Advent season, that song that Mary sings, who helps us to imagine the world as it could and should be. That whenever someone says that it's impossible for us to do something about poverty or injustice, Mary sings and says, yes, the impossible of God is possible. When Mary says yes to God, she says yes to the God who makes all things possible. She consents to God's will and God's actions. She accepts the truth that with, that with God all things are happening. All things that we might call irrational and reasonable are possible. That if young virgins are going to give birth to the Savior of the world, then what else is possible? That we should never try to fence or box God in but always be looking beyond the boundaries of our own experiences, our own deeply held assumptions to see what God is up to in the world. 
And so if the question that we've been asking this Advent season is, what do we want for Christmas? And we've been answering, all I want for Christmas is your two front teeth. Maybe the tooth fairy will visit you. Or all you want is a hippopotamus for Christmas, right? If all we want asking, if we're asking all we want for Christmas is, then all I think I want for Christmas this year is a posture like Mary's. One that is open to God. One that is open to a God who is always doing more than we can see. God who is always calling us beyond the boundaries of our own experiences and deeply held assumptions. It is to, to say yes to God. And that is a, a, a bold and courageous thing to do, to say yes to such a God. Ask Mary, she'll tell you. It takes courage, I think, to walk with a God who's always calling us beyond those boundaries. It, it requires us to walk sometimes in places where the ground is still being constructed beneath our feet. But whenever we say yes to God, Christmas still happens. Whenever we say yes to God as Mary did, then Jesus is born in the world. Jesus who bears all sorts of things that we might call impossible. So as we get closer and closer to Christmas, towards the manger in Bethlehem, may we say yes to God. Yes to the God in whom all things are possible. Thanks be to that God. Amen.